ahead, shake that jar of sprinkles, and celebrate your role as a mom. I'm Stephanie Fleece with City Moms Blog Network, and my hope is that the next 40 minutes or so bring a smile to your face, a skip to your step, and a sprinkler to, to your mundane. This is Just Add Sprinkles, Celebrating Motherhood, a podcast by City Moms Blog Network. Hey everyone, this is going to be a crazy fun podcast. It sure is. We are talking about birth stories, and we have a bunch of birth stories that have been submitted to us from a ton of mamas to share with you. Yes, we've got adoptive moms, no epidural moms, C-section moms, so many stories. <laughs> so we were just talking about uh, topic ideas for Just Add Sprinkles, celebrating motherhood, and thought it would be sh- fun to share birth stories because honestly, everyone's birth story is so different. And while we all have the same result at the end, and we have the, that in common, our stories are very different. And I love hearing them all. So do I. You know, I when I'm getting to know a new mom friend, I always ask about their birth story or stories because I just love hearing them. And it, you're right, Steph. It's so cool how each one is unique. And we have so many stories to share with you. And all of that is possible today thanks to our sponsor, which is Epic Books for Kids. Epic has a huge library of more than 25,000. Yes, you heard that right. 25,000 high quality, popular children's books, videos, quizzes, and more. And all of this is for kids ages kindergarten through sixth grade. Yes, we've been using the Epic app um, here at home on our iPad for a few weeks now, and it's awesome. Yeah, and we totally have too. Um, all of my kiddos, which are you know anywhere from five to nine years of age in our home, have loved it. It's great for my second grader. He has to read 20 minutes each night for his school reading log, and the app actually times it on how long it takes to read each book and gives me a report. And I love that there are so many books that he can read something new each night instead of the favorites here at home that he reads all the time and probably has memorized, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's also great for my kindergartner. She's not quite reading yet, but Epic reads age-appropriate books to her out loud while highlighting the words so she can kind of learn as she's being read to. She would legitimately spend hours on that app if I let her. And something I love about it is that there's no in-app purchases, praise hands, and the content is all appropriate. So I can even walk away for a few minutes and know um, that they're okay without supervision on it. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic app. Definitely worth checking out. And so Epic is normally $7.99 a month, which arguably is a great deal in and of itself. But we have an even better deal for you, and we've partnered with them to get our listeners of Just Add Sprinkles two months free. So we have a special code for you. Uh, so when you go to download Epic uh, from getepic.com, you use our special code SPRINKLES to get the two months free just to give it a try and see if uh, you're liking it and it can be of use to your family. Yes, and I think you'll love it. Okay, now I think it's time that we start talking about babies. Yes, I'm so excited about this. Okay, Steph, so you have three kiddos and I have Mm -hmm. two, so you have more birth stories than I do. Why don't you start? I guess I do have more birth stories (laughs) than you. Although, admittedly, like a lot of things in life, we are, birth stories are even super different. Uh, And so in my case, my three girls, uh, admittedly, while there were differences, they were all pretty similar in terms of their birth story. Uh, My first, I... um, I will admit, I will go on record, due to my first labor story, I am an advocate for castor oil. (laughs) 
I remember you telling me to take castor oil when I was pregnant. Oh, yeah, yeah, girl. Like, if you are listening to this and you are within the safe pregnancy zone to go into labor and you'd like to take matters into your own hands to some capacity, I would try castor oil. Why not? <laughs> Why not? So I, t- <laughs> I took castor oil with my first. So how much castor oil did you take? Because it was a specific oh amount, right? Wasn't it like a tablespoon or? Yeah, I think it's a tablespoon. I stuck it in like a juice glass of orange juice and just pretty much shot it down because admittedly, I mean, it's nasty. It's oil. It doesn't taste like anything, but you don't, oil doesn't mix into juice or anything Mm-mm. very well. So you just kind of have to down it. But I just figured, you know what? This is my own birth into motherhood right now to do hard things. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, but it just got contractions moving along with uh, our first and uh, much like the other two, really once contractions started and we, you know, felt like it was, they were timed within a specific period of time where we were going to go to the hospital. Uh, Every time that I got to the hospital though, I had to go in one of those terribly uncomfortable triage what's the what's the term this is terrible. the triage room a triage room I call yeah. it a triage room it's been a minute since you've had a kid <laughs> oh my gosh everybody's like everybody that's listening is like this girl doesn't know what she's talking about okay triage room um who's so uncomfortable and we walked hall- the halls essentially for an hour just to get labor moving along and thankfully in every case it moved it along enough within an hour of walking along walking around that they were ready to move us into the labor and delivery room and get me prepped for the epidural. This sounds like it was so easy, but people, it's not easy having a baby. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just talking about nonchalant, like no begging, you know, we just made it into the labor and delivery room. Uh, Well, I hate to skip over my second because there definitely was a notable occurrence during my second labor and delivery, which I will tell you about in a second. But I'm going to skip to my third because this is kind of a funny, noteworthy thing about my third. So between my second and my third, I broke my tailbone. Ooh, and in a, slutting, in a slutting accident, I won't get into the details. It was terrible, but it meant my dad driving me to the ER while I was sitting on pee, not pee, peas, <laughs> peas. <laughs> All of my pants had been like ripped because the sled broke. It was terrible. Were you pregnant when that happened? No, I wasn't oh, okay. pregnant. But I broke my tailbone. And I, it turns out, you know, it's officially broken. And one of the nurses just said, by the way, if you have children after today, you will likely find that your labor will be significantly more painful. Mm. Michelle can vouch for me. I am not one to use a lot of expletives no. in general. Girl. When I was laboring with my last, my third, which is after I'd broken my tailbone, I literally could not think of any other word to say. <laughs> like, I literally just was like, oh, beep, oh, beep, oh, beep. I'm self um, <laughs> beeping myself. <laughs> I, we, that's so funny that you said, we, one of the stories that we're going to share in a little bit, there is a mom who says that she has never cursed prior to, nor okay. since, but during labor, she was like a sailor. <laughs> 
Well, I can't say that I've never cursed before or since like this holy angel of God, it sounds like. But um, I did definitely like, I mean, yes, my husband was at one point, he looked at me and he was like, can you think of any other words? And I'm like, nope definitely not right now. This is the only thing that can, that comes close to touching the extremeness of this situation. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Anyway. And so that was probably the most notable part of uh, my third, my, the delivery of my third, but go, circling back to my second uh, delivery. And this was you know, when the baby was coming out, I did uh, have an epidural for all three of them. And truthfully, really, after I had the epidural, it just calmed my body down um, so much that within an hour or two, I we were pushing the baby out. And um, I hate to say this because this isn't the story for most people, but I pushed like two times all of the babies. <laughs> and then they just That's came awesome. out. Uh, but for my second, when I pushed the baby out, legitimately, the first thing that the labor, or my um, OBGYN said is, I think we need some attention on the husband. <gasps> because Alan had totally fainted. What? In the delivery room. <laughs> oh, and no. And so I admittedly, in a moment of great joy for myself, was looking at my husband thinking, there are more people tending to you right now. <laughs> Than me or the baby. <laughs> Get him some shoes. Get him some stuff. Oh and so I will always go to bat for my husband, and he needs to know that I fully realize it was four o'clock in the morning. Uh, we did not, we ate at like six o'clock the night prior. So he was obviously not his best self in that moment. Wow. But, <laughs> yes, he totally fainted in the delivery room. That's crazy. So, That's funny. How much did your babies weigh? Uh, all about the same, like mid seven pounds, some ounces. You don't remember, do you? Pop quiz. Do you know the weight? No, no. <laughs> I could live right now and be like seven four, seven six, seven eight, but then I'd be like, Do you know the exact time of all their births? No, like ah, I said, yes. between two a.m. to four a.m. That's when they all were born. I would have to, I would have to look up records and um, my old blog posts to see also. Oh my That's real life mamas right there. Um, hey, I want to tell you about my birth stories, but first let's hear from a couple moms. Yeah, I think that sounds great. We have a funny hubby story that we'll start with and then um, we'll go right into a, um, you, know, you had seven pounders. I had an eight pounder and a seven pounder, but we have one that was uh, much larger. So we'll go from Woo! the hubby story into that one real quick. Hello, my name is Maria Hoy and I'm from Orange County, California. And this is my birth story. I was having my second child, and for me, everything was coming more quickly. The contractions were more intense. They were closer together. I was screaming a lot more loudly because I knew what was going to happen. They were like, hey, you're, you're getting ready to push. We're going to go find the doctor. At that moment, my husband chose to decide that he was hungry and he needed to get something to eat. As he's on his way back from getting food, the doctor walks in and is like, it's go time. So my husband scarfs down his burrito. Four pushes later, I have my beautiful baby boy. I'm so excited, but also exhausted. My husband leans over to me and says, oh, my stomach hurts so bad from eating that burrito. And I look at him and I said, that's not the only thing that's going to hurt after this epidural wears off. I'm Daniela from Flagstaff, Arizona. And the 
birth story that I find to be like my most mm, epic would have to be the birth of my second son, Charlie. And I went to my due date. My doctor was kind of concerned because my blood pressure was elevated for the first time during my whole pregnancy. So she's like, you need to have this baby now. We ended up going in to be induced. My doctor was convinced that I was going to have him like right away. Didn't happen. Um, Took 24 hours. They had to break my water and I did it without an epidural. But when he came out and they put him on the scale, the nurse called out his weight and my jaw hit the floor. She said that he weighed 10 pounds, seven ounces. I looked at my doctor and I was like, did I just break in half? And she looked back at me and she's like, no, you're fine. You don't need any stitches. You're good. Yeah, I had a a 10 pound, seven ounce baby without an epidural. I'm in pain just thinking about it. I know she says she's fine today and I did double check to make sure. I mean, there's just no way. Here's the deal. I just got a trampoline in my backyard and I cannot jump on a trampoline after having three children and I did not have a 10 pound, seven ounce baby. I know. I mean, there is no way, Daniela, that you can jump on my trampoline without like pretty much birthing another baby. No, she's, (laughs) no, she is forever changed. That is, that's one impressive story. That is one. And to do it without any drugs. Yeah. Speaking of drugs, though, we have a lot of moms in our network that uh, are very pro-epidural. Me too. Yeah. I had uh, epidurals with both of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll share their stories in a minute. But I want to – we have I have a really sweet story um, that's very pro-epidural. And then we have a couple stories from moms where uh, epidural didn't go so well. So let's hear from them. I'm Jenny, and I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have two little boys both born vaginally with the help of an epidural because epidurals are amazing. And with my first son, I labored at home way too long because I had no idea what I was doing. And they kept telling me I couldn't come to the hospital because my contractions were not five minutes apart for an hour. But they jumped from seven minutes to two minutes. And I was in so much pain that I screamed the F word for the first time in my life. And that was 32 years. And I haven't done it since. And then my second son, I was able to get to the hospital before I had any pain whatsoever. So that epidural I got before I was miserable. All went well with both births. And I have two happy little boys now. Birth is no joke, no matter how you do it. I'm Kristen from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. My third baby is one of my more interesting birth stories because my epidural did not work. I had had epidurals with my first two babies. This time I noticed, you know, I wasn't feeling the same kind of um, relief from the pain. The doctor kept adding more medicine and I noticed after a while only my left leg was numb just from the middle of the thigh down. So everything else was completely um, in pain and the contractions were just extremely strong as they were going along. And I knew that at one point the epidural was just not going to work. And it was kind of scary just realizing I was going to have to go through this without the plan that I had. I focused really hard on trying to breathe and relax and stay calm because I knew if I freaked out that it would be a lot worse. 
And eventually I was like, I have to push this baby out. The baby is here. And nobody believed me. But, you know, finally they checked me and they're like, oh, yeah, the baby is there. So go ahead and push. And I was terrified to push because I thought it would be so painful. But actually, once I um, just started pushing, it was such a relief and didn't hurt nearly as bad as the contractions did. And then my little boy was born and I couldn't believe that I had done it without any pain medication, completely unplanned but my leg was numb for 24 hours, so that was not cool. My name is Kim Adams, and I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado. My birth story starts with a baby that was much too cozy in my belly, um, so I was induced after my son was 10 days past his due date, much too long to be pregnant. Um, but I went to the hospital, and everything was pretty uneventful until it came time for my epidural. I ended up with something called an epidural window, which is basically just an area of your body that is not affected by the medication. Um, so I was feeling all kinds of pain in what to me was the worst possible area I could feel anything. So I did attempt uh, to have a second epidural. First thing that happened was they sat me up and everyone kind of forgot how numb I was already from the first epidural. So everyone let go of me and I did fall backwards onto the bed and was luckily caught before I flipped off of the bed entirely. Um, so that was a very hilarious and slightly concerning moment in the room for everyone involved. The anesthesiologist came in. He attempted to go through a second epidural space in my back, which was unsuccessful. So as soon as they laid me back down, my body was like, it's go time, and wanted to just go ahead and push this baby uh, right out of my body. So they called my doctor, but he had it in his mind that with a first uh, baby, it was going to take a little bit longer. So he took his sweet half hour to get to the hospital and almost missed catching the baby. As soon as he got there, it only took me three pushes and about seven minutes for my son to be born. Can you imagine if she would have flipped off that bed? <laughs> it's it's kind of a fun, funny mental picture, only because she did not flip off. The minute I was like holding my breath inside as I listened to that. Oh, bless oh, you. I feel Kim. I feel like uh the so many people say when you're going into motherhood that having a birth plan and having all of these expectations is kind of laughable to mm -hmm. some extent. But yeah. people still do it because, you know, they want as much control as they feel like they can. Uh, but I mean, for those of you that went in, decided to have an epidural and then you didn't get it or oh. it didn't work, that's kind of sad. That's That's got to be one of the worst things ever. You know, when I, when I was doing my birthing classes at my OB's office before my first, uh -huh. we went around the circle and the husbands had to guess on a scale of one to 10, how ready their wives were for an epidural. Number one being, get away from me. I don't want any drugs. I would rather give birth at home. The only reason I'm even coming to an OB is because my husband made me come here. Uh -huh. And number 10 was, can we book an appointment with the anesthesiologist uh, weeks in advance to get the... <laughs> thing ready. And so when it came around to my husband, he was like, oh, my wife is a 25 out of 10. <laughs> and I was like, yep, sure. <laughs> Can I get the epidural for the last half of my pregnancy? <laughs> so, and thankfully my epidural worked. <laughs> yes, I know. And I, I just can't help but think of the poor mamas that might be listening right now that they're pregnant with their first. And the, we're hearing stories of these epidurals not working. And I, I would say 
there's a large percentage of epidurals that work. Yes. <laughs> but of course you're going to hear about the stories yes. that don't work. Yes. Well, I'll I'll share my first story right now. Yes, um, please do. I, so my first... Uh, born child. We did not find out the sex of either of our children before they were born. So that made things a little bit more exciting towards the end. Um, but my first pregnancy went eight days over, which is similar to, um, I think it was Chris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris, one of the gal stories. Um, so I was, I was eight days over and it was a holiday weekend. It was Memorial day weekend. So I was actually going to have to go even longer because I couldn't get in to schedule my induction because of the holiday weekend. So it was the eighth day and I was, I literally stepped out of the shower. My husband was getting ready to go golfing. We weren't planning on anything happening till the next day. Stepped out of the shower and my water broke very dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while that was exciting, it was also, it was also not the right color. I could tell it was stained with meconium. Also, because I had an older baby in there. So we got to the hospital and I was only a couple centimeters and, and then eventually got the epidural in thinking that would help. They had me hooked up to all the wires and all the fun stuff. And every time they would increase the, I guess it was a Pitocin. They had to give me some Pitocin to try and move things along because my water had broken and they were concerned because of the meconium. Every time they upped that, the baby's heart rate dropped. And so they would take me off with the Pitocin and the heart rate would go back. And so they were kind of confused as to why that was happening. Twice, uh, I some kind of an alarm went off and people rushed into my room twice. And on the third time, they're like, that's it. You're not going to have this baby vaginally. Um, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. We don't know why the baby keeps crashing. So at that point, you're just like, I just want my baby here safely because now this is the third time people have rushed into my, hot- my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> It felt like a hotel room. It was a very nice hospital. But you know, um, pre- Priage and yes. hotel rooms. I was like, I guess I'll cancel my nail appointment to have my emergency C-section. No, so they you know, rushed me in for the emergency C-section, which was a little bit scary. But at the same time, I felt like I was in good hand. I was excited because I still didn't know the sex of the baby. Yeah. And so we get into the OR and they do the C-section. And it turns out I had cord prolapse, which meant the cord – was blocking my baby's exit. So had we pushed for the vaginal birth, it could have been real, real bad. Mm-hmm. But also the first one of the first things my doctor said to me was, this was not your fault. You're a great candidate for a VBAC uh, because it was just kind of how things were situated in the womb. It wasn't anything sure. with my body or anything. Yeah. And yeah. anyway, so she, you know, cuts me open, pulls the baby out, and the baby starts crying, and I here, which of course made me so happy. And then I hear the nurses saying, tell her what it is. Tell her what it is. Because she doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know. And it felt like forever. And finally, no one was saying anything. <laughs> finally, she whips this baby around the curtain and she's like, what is it, Michelle? And I was like, it's a boy. <laughs> I was so happy. And so then, and he, so, and he was fine. He was perfectly fine. And yeah, my recovery wasn't too bad, actually. So um, he was eight days late and ended up in an emergency C-section. Um, but I wasn't one of those moms who labored for hours before that. I was going to so. say, I feel like the worst kind of, at least the worst stories that I have heard often are women that will labor for hours and hours pushing and then end up having to go into emergency cesarean because then it's like their bodies just went through both things. Yes. My mother-in-law had twins. My husband is a twin and she had one of them vaginally my husband, and one through cesarean two hours later. No. So she legitimately had the worst birth story. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Are they identical or fraternal? They're fraternal. Oh, my goodness. 
Crazy, right? Crazy. I know. Oh, totally crazy. Man. So your your husband is definitely her favorite. Let's be honest. Yes. <laughs> Hello, my name is Amanda and I am from Flagstaff, Arizona. And this is a birth story about my second born, Josie. I thought with number two, she would come early and that she would come quick. Little did I know that the little stinker would make, make me wait for a full 41 weeks. I woke up and I felt this rush. So I had assumed that my water was breaking. So I went to the bathroom and I sat down on the toilet and it was just gushes and gushes of blood and of blood clots just coming out. I literally thought that I was dying, that she was dying. I had no idea what was going on. So I screamed for um, my partner and we got up our son and thankfully we only lived about five minutes from the hospital and we rushed in. At that point, I wasn't having contractions yet, so they really couldn't figure out why I was bleeding so much and they were very hesitant to check where I was in terms of labor since they didn't know why I was bleeding. They didn't want to go poking around in there. Um, I got my ultrasound and they saw that everything was fine. She was breathing. I was um, seven centimeters. So they sent me off to labor and delivery. I did a few bounces, bounces on the ball and then my water did break and my doctor showed up and he told me to start pushing. She finally comes out after about 20 minutes of pushing and he said, oh, the reason why you couldn't get her out is because she was sunny side up. So she was flipped the wrong way, facing the wrong way. So it was basically her face coming out first. So she um, did a number on my body. And he also found out that all that bleeding was because my placenta was starting to detach. It was by pure miracle that I woke up to go to work, um, that it didn't fully detach, and that we got to the hospital as quickly as we could. From start to finish, I think it was less than an hour by the time I woke up and had um, the baby. I don't really talk about it a whole lot because it was it was pretty traumatizing, but thankfully we are both healthy and happy, and she is turning two on September 9th. I'm Audra from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was almost at 42 weeks pregnant with my daughter and so over it. I finally went into labor one night and 20 hours later, my daughter was born. My husband and I raided the mini fridge at the hospital and scarfed down our pudding cups and pretzels while settling in for the night. Little did I know, I'd never ever, ever sleep well again. And then I found out at eight months postpartum, I was pregnant again. Yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> I mean, first of all, Amanda's story, uh, that is just so scary and sounds horrific. Oh, so frightening. It, I mean, it, birth can be very scary yeah. for a lot. I mean, I think we just take it for granted and that there are stories, certainly mine included, that are fairly like, you know, it, they're pretty normal and uh but gosh yeah there's a lot our bodies go through it's it really is a miracle yeah every I always say like every baby that's born the world changes yes it's so and true. it's it is so true because that little baby is going to change the world to some capacity yes, and I um I love that but well okay I, I've got to stop to mention my hospital did not have a mini fridge oh. that was stocked with things like pretzels. And pudding cups. Pudding cups. Pudding cups. How good does that sound? Pretty good. The only thing that was in my mini fridge were ice packs for my hoo-ha. <laughs> 
And I had those nipple those nipple things, and I put them in the fridge to keep them cold because I knew I was going to need them. Yeah. Because your nipples are yeah, not like, happy for a while. No, not, I know not happy at all. No. I mean, I, I just feel like I need to give a PSA announcement to anyone that has any clout in mini fridge hospital world. Yeah. Take a clue from this gal. Yes. Pudding cups. Pudding and pretzels. Cups. I mean, my life would have been better. Yeah. And a little bottle of champagne for after. Can we be honest? Be I know. Amazing. Girl, okay. Before we get to the next story, I um, one of my friends showed up with a full dozen warm Krispy Kreme donuts after oh. my kids were born. And I tell you what, not ashamed to say it, I think I ate probably six or eight donuts in once. Yeah, you're hungry. It's no joke. Run 18 marathons at once. Yeah, I mean, they were literally the God's gift to me at that moment. <laughs> and so, like, forget the baby that I had just birthed. <laughs> My friend brought me Krispy Kremes. <laughs> okay, so I actually have something in common with that last one, Audra. Yeah. She said yeah. that she got pregnant eight months postpartum. Mm-hmm. I can beat her by a month. <laughs> you, of course you make it a competition. I, come, I, I win this. No. I, so, no, but we did it on purpose. It sounds like she was surprised, but my husband and I had always wanted our kids close together. And so I actually stopped nursing my son Kenton at six months because I wanted my cycle to start again so I could get pregnant again. And the next month, seven months postpartum, I did get pregnant again right away. And so my kids are 16 months apart. And again, we didn't find out the sex. Both my pregnancies were exactly the same. I'm the pregnant woman everybody hates. I had no nausea, a little tired first and third trimester, but really very, very easy pregnancies. And then, um, and as I had already mentioned, my doctor told me in the OR after my emergency C-section with my first that she was basically only um, supportive of a VPAC with my second because I was such a good candidate. And I thought, great, let's let's go for it. That's what everyone wants, right? My water had kind of a slow trickle. I didn't know if my water had broken. I just kind of thought I was peeing, to be honest. Just being honest, I was that pregnant. You know, it's the end of my pregnancy. And my dad, who is a family doctor, called me in the afternoon. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, good. I just kind of had to change my underwear a lot today because there's like, you know, something leaking. He's like, Michelle, get to the hospital. He's like, that's your water. Oh, total second baby. I was like, I'll take a shower. I'm going to stop and get some snacks. (laughs) Meandered in the hospital. So I get in. They confirmed it was amniotic fluid. So I was admitted and started kind of the what we thought would be the slow process. I did end up getting an epidural just a little later than I wanted because some lady came in and had twins and there was only one anesthesiologist on staff and he needed to be in the OR for her C-section. So I How dare suff- you? I know. I suffered for about 90 minutes. We're looking at you, lady. <laughs> exactly. You had twins. You had twins on October 15th, 2012. <laughs> Where are you now? <laughs> My doctor got in there to when it came time to push and like you stuff I, I think I did two or three pushes when you're gonna, a candidate for a VBAC you don't know if a VBAC is going to happen until you start pushing it's it's always a question and so that was kind of the first surprise was as I started pushing I'm like I'm actually having a VBAC this is exciting I'm having a vaginal birth mm-hmm. and um, so I pushed her out and then there's the second surprise it was a girl <laughs> which we didn't know what we were having and I was positive I had convinced myself we were having a boy because my pregnancies were identical mm-hmm. we had a name picked out for a boy. We did not have our name ready for a girl. So first surprise is that she was a VBAC and it happened. The second surprise is that it was a girl, which took me a while to recover from. I was just so shocked. 
And I had never had a vaginal birth. So, you know, those of you who have, you know, they put the baby on your chest and she's covered in fluid and blood and all that good stuff. I thought she had blonde hair, um, but she just had blood on it from being born, just being born. And they took her after about 20 minutes to rinse her down. And the nurse declares very loudly, we've got a redhead. And <laughs> that's when I'm like, you guys need to stop talking because I, I'm done with the surprises. I can't handle another one. And people literally came running. All the nursing staff came running in to see the redhead. They're not very common. And so they put this little baby girl back in my arms. And sure enough, she has these huge blue eyes and this gorgeous little fuzz of red hair that has now grown into long, curly locks of Annie style red hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got my C section. I got my V back. I got my boy. I got my girl. And we are done. <laughs> I checked all the boxes. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, I I love hearing successful VBAC stories. I know that that's not a possibility for a decent amount of women. I know a lot of women that just will have cesareans just for a variety of reasons. But um, well done, Mama. Thanks. Hey, we have some other really sweet stories to share. But first, we have um, one of our site owners, um, Megan from Jacksonville Moms Blog. She had a really traumatic experience, and she actually wrote a blog post about it, and she read that blog post for us, and we're going to share that now. I'm Megan from Jacksonville, Florida. My first pregnancy was full of surprises, including finding out that, surprise, 10 days before my wedding, my nausea wasn't wedding nerves, but morning sickness. At my last wedding dress fitting, my boobs were spilling out of the top, not because it was that time of the month, but because I was pregnant. I was in total denial. I couldn't be pregnant. I wasn't married yet. I ended up being almost eight weeks pregnant at my wedding and feeling pretty crappy, even with the anti-nausea pills the doctor had given me. My morning sickness lasted through the end of the first trimester, and then I felt great. I was so excited to be married with a baby on the way. Unfortunately, the feeling good lasted only a couple of weeks. I had horrible tailbone pain from about 18 weeks on, and my desk job did not help. After 24 weeks, my weight really started to increase, even though I wasn't overeating. Soon after that came the swelling and the purchase of old lady orthopedic shoes for work because my feet couldn't fit into anything else. I really started to feel awful on Christmas Day when I was about 29 weeks. My stomach was upset, and I just didn't have much of an appetite, but the rapid weight gain continued. I knew pregnancy wasn't easy, but I started to wonder, is it really supposed to be this bad? Is this normal? Not wanting to be an obnoxious, super complaining, first-time pregnant mom, I figured that everything must be normal. I didn't hold anything back from my doctors, but when I went to my regular visits, everything seemed fine. No red flags. On Monday, January 25th, 2010, I went to my regular appointment at 33 weeks and started telling the doctor how horrible I had been feeling, tailbone pain, nausea, foot pain, etc. She was unfortunate. She said unfortunately, that's just what happens toward the end. I went to work every day the rest of the week and through the weekend. On Thursday night, I randomly had a nosebleed. I wasn't quite sure what to do because I had never had one before, but I'd always remembered from TV that they would stuff toilet paper in the person's nose and tell her to hold her head back. However, a quick Google search and almost choking taught me that that is not what you want to do. You actually want to tilt your head forward and it should stop in about 10 minutes. But 25 minutes later, my nose was still gushing. 
Right when we really started to get worried at around 30 minutes, it stopped. The next day at work, I felt pretty bad. I tried to keep my feet propped up to ease the swelling, and my nose and throat still felt weird after the nosebleed. I felt like I needed to clear my nose. So I breathed in really hard, and all of a sudden, I felt something in my throat. When I ran to the bathroom to spit it out, I discovered that it was a huge blood clot, about the size of a quarter. It totally freaked me out. But I knew it was just from the nosebleed. Should I call the doctor? No, it was just a nosebleed. Saturday and Sunday were tough. Although I did not feel like moving, I worked both days. Then I started to notice that my urine was really dark, no matter how much water I drank. I called my older sister, who had had preeclampsia during her first pregnancy, and asked her if it was protein in my urine. That's what they always tested at my doctor appointments. Would I be able to tell? She told me I should definitely call the doctor. It was Sunday then, and my friends at work were telling me to call because I was so swollen. Well, what are they going to do on a Sunday? I'll just call tomorrow. On Monday morning, I was running errands with my mom and called my doctor's office to see if they could fit me in. I told them I had gained seven pounds in one week and that I was really swollen. They worked me in that morning, and I asked my mom if she would mind coming along. They weighed me. And yes, I had gained seven pounds in one week for a whopping total of 59 pounds at only 34 weeks. My doctor was worried about my swelling, and I did have protein in my urine. When they took my blood pressure, it was just 121 over 80, still normal, but high for me. As a precautionary measure, my doctor sent me over to the hospital for more testing. She ordered blood pressure and fetal heart rate monitoring, as well as blood work. At this point, I really wasn't worried. I thought, well, I guess I have preeclampsia. They're probably going to put me on bed rest for the rest of my pregnancy. As I lay in the hospital bed sending jokey texts to my sisters and talking to my mom about the nurse being totally rude, I didn't realize that my blood pressure had shot up to 155 over 95. I glanced over at the monitor and told my mom, who said not to worry, it was probably just nerves. Then the snippy nurse, ironically this nurse eventually became my favorite, who wouldn't give us any info or let us know when we would be able to leave, came in and asked if I had ever been anemic. No. Before I could even ask why, she was back out the door. Now I was worried. What's going on? Why is my blood pressure rapidly going up? Why am I still being monitored? My doctor told me an, an hour, and it's been two. Why won't anybody tell me anything? A new nurse suddenly came in. Finally, someone's going to tell me something. Well, you aren't going to be leaving today. Your doctor is coming up with a plan of action, and we will be calling and we'll be calling you on that phone soon. What? Plan of action? What does that mean? She informed me that the doctor would explain, but they needed to get the baby out today. Instead of a phone call, my amazing doctor sprinted across the street to the hospital and explained that I had an extreme form of preeclampsia called HELP syndrome, hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low blood platelets. She told me that because my body became, had become toxic, and the only recourse was to have was to get the baby out via, via an emergency C-section. I was at Baptist Beaches Hospital, which does not have a NICU. She told me that they would normally life flight me downtown, but they wouldn't have time. If anything was wrong with the baby, I would remain at Beaches, and they would life flight the baby to Baptist Health Center downtown. 
The whole time, everything was being explained to me. I didn't realize how serious my condition was. I was so worried about the baby that I just kept praying that he or she would be okay. When the doctor said, normally we would life flight you downtown, but we don't have time, I thought it was because they wanted to get the baby out before something happened to it. I didn't realize they were actually afraid that I wouldn't make it there. It was all so much to take in. Luckily, my husband was on a job nearby and made it there really quickly. We had decided not to find out the baby's sex, but we had narrowed it down to two girl names and two boy names. We quickly discussed the options and made a semi-decision. We would finalize it once we saw him or her. The delivery room nurses were still discussing with the anesthesiologist whether to put me completely under for the C-section or whether I would be kept awake because of my blood platelet count. In the end, they decided I should be awake because they were afraid I would slip into a coma. The whole C-section experience was surreal and happened so fast. I felt really hazy and just wanted to know my baby was okay. Eight minutes after they gave me the spinal, my doctor lifted her in the air and she let out a feisty scream as my husband yelled, It's a book, girl! He got confused when he saw the umbilical cord. Teeny Elizabeth Kingsley weighed only 4 pounds 11 ounces, but she still scored a 9 on the APGAR scale and had no need for the NICU. Two hours later, I was on a high, so happy to have my healthy little girl with me at last. They told me she would have a hard time breastfeeding because she was a preemie, but she latched on right away. I had to be put on magnesium sulfate to prevent seizures and help lower my blood pressure. The high was gone the next day when I started to feel really bad again. My legs became so swollen that I couldn't even bend them at the knees. My blood pressure was still very elevated, and the magnesium sulfate was giving me a horrible migraine, making me feel like my whole body was on fire. Right as all these things were happening, some visitors came into my room. I felt awful, looked awful, and did not want to see anyone. I started to panic, and before I knew it, I was surrounded by nurses pumping meds into my IV. I was knocked out for a couple of hours and finally got some sleep, but my blood pressure was still high. The three days following my delivery were awful. On Wednesday night, my blood pressure skyrocketed to 200 over 105, and they had to start taking it every two minutes until it eventually went down. Finally, on Thursday, I started to feel better and was off of the magnesium sulfate. That was when everything started to sink in. When my old pediatrician, who also became Kingsley's doctor, came to visit, she said, Geez, Meg, I'm so glad you called that morning. I th- to think that if you had gone about your day without coming in, you would have just stroked out on us. Scary. What? I mean, I knew it was bad, but I could have died? For some reason, that just hadn't occurred to me. I was so worried about the baby that I didn't even realize everyone was actually worried about me and wondering whether I would make it. Before my own experience with HELP syndrome, I had never heard of it. It was definitely not in my copy of what to expect when you're expecting. In the two weeks after Kingsley's birth, I lost 30 pounds. For eight weeks, I was on blood pressure medication and iron supplements. After that, I was pretty much back to normal, except for the 29 other pounds I needed to lose. But I was happy to have both my little fighter and my health. Well, that was dramatic. Um, yes, I'm sitting here with bug eyes. Yeah, it was traumatic. But you know what? Um, if you follow Megan or Jacksonville Mom's blog, you can see these kids are awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh, they are so cute, and they're just hilarious. Oh, they're they 
seriously, her daughter will have a YouTube channel someday. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Okay, we have a few more stories um, from people that I just want to share. They're just some scary ones again and some really sweet ones, and we're just going to play them for you now. Hi, I'm Sarah from Cincinnati, Ohio. And when my youngest was born, she came out with this full head of really light blonde hair, and I was so excited to have a little blondie like me. I just remember she came out and she was screaming her head off and I held her and I looked at her and I said, hey there, sweet girl. And as soon as she heard my voice, she just got quiet and she just looked at me with these big alert open eyes. To this day, she is seven and she's still feisty and loud, but my voice is still the one thing that can calm her. Hey there, my name is Tiffany from Raleigh and I have a birth story to share with you. So with my daughter's birth, she's my second child, I ended up being in the hospital for 40 days on bed rest. So what that meant was every day waking up in the hospital to some wonderful nurses and some amazing, I'm being sarcastic, hospital food. I spent 40 days um, in the hospital over Christmas and of course New Year's. And I gave birth to my daughter on January 17th, and she came super early. She was about 27 weeks, and she was two pounds. She came out healthy and happy, but she was so tiny. She looked like a little small bird with a head full of hair, which we all laughed um, and joked every time we saw her. She's healthy. She's active. And it is amazing what mamas can do when you give them 40 days and you are determined to keep your baby in as long as you can. Hi, this is Leanne from Portland, Oregon, and this is the story of my fourth child's birth. All of my previous births had been 30 plus hours long, lots of medical interventions, pretty exhausting. So I was completely prepared or as prepared as one can be to do that again when I woke up in the middle of the night uh, around 1230 and had my first strong, definite contraction. They were pretty close together, so I said, why don't we call them midwife? And she said, yeah, come on in. So it took me a while to get ready and get to the hospital, but we did it. We made it into the room. They checked me, and they decided, yeah, we think we'll probably admit you. I went to the bathroom, and on my way back from the bathroom, apparently I let out a ferocious growl that told everybody in the hallway that maybe they should come into the room. And I basically climbed onto the bed, and out came my daughter. Uh, what was really cool about it was that she, it was one push and she was born in the sack. This is Emily from Fort Worth, Texas. My oldest daughter came to us via adoption. When we got the phone call on March 7th, not only did we find out we had been matched with the baby girl, but surprise, she was already born. And she had been born in the car on the way to the hospital, thanks to, believe it or not, in Texas, an ice storm. An ice storm on the side of her in Texas. Oh, I love that story. Oh, and her sweetie is just so precious. And so I I love that she gets to pass on that that's the story of her birth. Yes. Yeah, no, that is amazing. And uh, Leanne, I love that she let out a growl. Yes. (laughs) I can think I can hear it in my head. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And born in sack. I love that. I love all of these birth stories because yes. they are so unique. And truly the day that each one of these kiddos was born is a moment in time. 
to be yes, captured. It is. Oh, thanks for sharing your stories, Mama. This was so awesome. So this was a fun episode, Michelle. I loved hearing all of these stories. Same Z's. It's amazing how different each situation is that brings our little people into our lives. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you all, uh, especially to the moms who shared their stories with us. And you guys are all amazing. And for those of you that are listening, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, and now, Michelle, let's remind them about our epic information. Epic. Is that <laughs> reading advocates? And as my daughter would say, that's totally epic. Um, it's normally $7.99 a month, which is a great deal in and of itself. But um, just for listening today, you get two months free. Go to the website getepic.com. And when you download it, use the promo code SPRINKLES. That's SPRINKLES when you sign up and you'll get two months free. All right, mamas. Until next time, please know you are doing an awesome job. We are here cheering you along. And don't forget for the big things and the little things to just add sprinkles. For show notes and more information on this episode of Just Add Sprinkles Celebrating Motherhood, please visit citymomsblog.com. There, you can find more information on our topic, our guest, and our host, Stephanie Fleece. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to give a review wherever you listen to podcasts so we can keep encouraging moms to celebrate motherhood and just add sprinkles.